Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We love to have endless debates about healthcare in this country. Do we have a public system, a universal system? Do we allow private care at all in this country? Of course, if you have followed the healthcare system at all, been involved, seen a doctor, chances are you realize that we have a mixed system. It is public, it is private. For the most part, it's publicly paid for, but even not all of that is covered by various provincial government programs. But there's one man who has been involved in a fight for private health care in this country for some time. And we want to talk to him in a moment. Before we get to Dr. Brian Day, though, I do want to remind you to subscribe to the Full Comment podcast. My name is Brian Lilly. I'm the guest host of Full Comment for this week. And you can subscribe on any of the platforms that you're listening to right now or your preferred platform, be it Amazon, Apple, Google, what have you. Dr. Brian Day is a former uh, head of the Canadian Medical Association. He's been active in a number of different healthcare groups throughout his long career. And he joins me now from Vancouver. Dr. Day, thanks for the time. Oh, you're welcome. I, I want to ask you, tell me your backstory. Where, where did you come from? How did you end up where you are out in Vancouver uh, practicing as a, a physician, as a surgeon? So I came to Vancouver in the, um, in the 70s um, as a trainee in orthopedic surgery and initially was planning to stay for just a year because I had a, another another position back uh, in the UK um, um, but I, I enjoyed my year in orthopedics and stayed on and uh, that was the story of how I came here so I did my orthopedic training and in, in Canada, Canada in British Columbia and um, I've been <clears throat> over the years involved in academic orthopedics I used to be in charge of the academic program for orthopedic surgeons at UBC and I was chair of the National Committee on Credentialing, um, the Test Committee on Credentialing Orthopedic Surgeons in Canada. Um, but, um, but then, you know, that everything was working perfectly in our health system until the late 80s. And then things started to go haywire and have been going, getting worse ever since. That's what I wanted to ask you. What was it like when you came to this country and when did you start seeing a change? Because you came out of a a system that was even more government-oriented with the British National Health Service yes. than, than what we've generally had here. So I'm guessing you weren't always opposed to um, the type of medical setup that we've got. When did you start saying, hmm, there's a problem here? Well, um, you know, you're right. I came out of the, um, the NHS system. I came to Vancouver at a time when, you know, for doctors and nurses were in good supply you know, back then we were fourth in the world in the number of doctors per population um, and we're now we're now 69th in the world in doctors per population we had um, no waiting lists access to family physicians and specialists was instantaneous almost you know within a week or so 
and gradually and progressively, uh, mostly due to government um, policies, um, they cut medical school intake by 10 to 30%, they cut nursing schools. They, they had this weird theory that doctors and nurses were causing the waiting list to go up because they were treating too many patients. So the simplistic solution was to <laughs> cut back medical schools and they were cut back across the country by up to 30%. And now they complain there's a shortage of doctors and nurses, which is a kind of a, um, you know, ironic. But, um, but yes, until the late 80s, there were no problems, but then the rationing that took over um, started to impact and the, the shortages that the government itself had created started to take over. And the big difference between the NHS and every other country in the world, and I, I think I stress every other country in the world, is that none of them bans competition for the private, for the public system. So Canada is the only health system that operates for physician and hospital services as a um, state-run monopoly. Every other system in the world, including the communist countries, including the British NHS and the New Zealand system. So our system was largely based on New Zealand and Britain, but we did one thing differently. We banned private insurance. And in, in the countries I just named, like New Zealand, even countries like Sweden and Belgium and Denmark, which are not every other country in the world, allows a little bit of competition, both funding and delivery from the private sector. And I, you know, I've always believed, and I still believe, there is, not, there is no monopoly of any kind, especially a government monopoly, that serves the users of the services well. If you've got no choice, you have, um, you have a badly run system. We see that in British Columbia because British Columbia has a, a government monopoly on, say, on car insurance. And it's not a coincidence that we have the highest car insurance premiums in the country. And so that, that's, been, that's, that's basically the historical um, situation as to how we got here. There's a couple of different things. There's uh, private delivery of public services, and then there's private pay. And I want to talk about private pay in a few minutes, but I want to ask you about this controversy in Ontario where the, uh, the government is moving in what I think are very moderate baby steps, moving towards allowing cataracts, hip and knee surgeries in private clinics. Um, and, and it's being portrayed as if it, it, it's... We're going to U.S.-style healthcare, is what Jagmeet Singh said, as if he doesn't know that the province he represents in the House of Commons has been doing this a long time. Uh, tell me what it's like in, in British Columbia, because we don't talk enough about differences in our own country. We don't know enough. We know more about what's happening in the United States quite often than what's happening elsewhere. What Ontario is about to do is something British Columbia has done for decades, I understand. Yes, we, so um, the NDP government in the 90s introduced, um, you know, we actually had the first contract at our private clinic with the NDP government back then and have, uh, and they still to this day contract out thousands of procedures to the private sector based on, on the rationale that they're more productive, more effective, l they have less complications. Uh, so, for example, and, and, you know, 
this is something that might surprise people, but you know, our clinic in British Columbia is ranked by the Accreditation Canada, which is the national body that accredits hospitals and teaching hospitals across Canada. We are the high. We we've achieved the highest rating, higher than the which is you know a minority of hospitals in Canada have public hospitals. We we know from government data that there for every hundred admissions to a public hospital, there is one preventable death. We know from college, so in, in over 25 years of operations. Sorry, can you give me that number again? There is one preventable death for every hundred admissions to a public hospital. In over 80,000 admissions at our surgical center, there has not been one death. So these, what Ford is doing will not only save hundreds of lives every year, um, but and this is also significant. The College of Physicians and Surgeons of British Columbia collects data on complications like infections and um, superbug infections and all of that kind of thing. They're almost 40 times more common in a public hospital than in a private clinic. So these clinics are safer. They cost less money. They are built and operate with the the construction costs are, do not cost the taxpayer and the, the um, technology that's in, in, included and bought by the private sector does not cost the taxpayer a penny. So if they don't work out, taxpayer doesn't lose anything. And most importantly, if they make a profit, those, t that, those clinics pay, pay taxes to all three levels of government. Um, so this is a win-win for the government. <clears throat> but as, as you say, what Ford is doing, quite apart from the fact that it's going to help patients, um, it will also repatriate um, nurses. So in a single Detroit district, which is you know, just, across, not, you know, just across the border, there are over a thousand, in one district, over a thousand Ontario trained nurses working in the United States. This will this will cause many of them to come back because the working conditions at our public hospitals have become have deteriorated to a level that they're toxic now. Nurse, there is actually, if you look at OECD data, there is no shortage of nurses in Canada. We have a higher than average number of nurses per population, but the environment in our public hospitals has driven them away. The Part of the reason, well, especially in the ICUs and emergency rooms. I mean, those those are the ones that are really having the trouble. Yes, and and I think one of the things that a lot of Canadians don't understand, and this is at the heart of that pro of, of, of the problem, is we are the only developed country that block funds our hospitals. So a public hospital like, say, the Vancouver General Hospital is given a couple of billion dollars every year by the government to operate. That means that every um, patient that comes to an emergency department or is admitted for a surgery or procedure is using up the budget. Therefore, if you want to be a successful chief financial officer and administrator at a hospital, public hospital, the last thing you want 
is patience because they are using up your budget. It's a crazy form of, of, of funding that is unique to Canada to be carried out exclusively. <clears throat> and it's nothing to do with private or public. This is a funding system in Britain, in New Zealand, in, in France, countries that have universal health systems, the funding follows the patient. Here, it doesn't. So there is, a, in, in New Zealand, if a patient goes to a public hospital, they carry public funding with them. So the, they want patients in the emergency department. They want patients coming in for surgeries because that brings government revenue. Equally, those, so what's interesting, public hospitals in those countries um, also treat private patients. There are no way, the, you know, if, if you, if, and, and use the revenue to supplement the treatment of public patients. I'm an honorary member of the Cuban Orthopedic Association, the Frank Pays Hospital in downtown Havana, only 150 beds, generates $20 million US and in treating private patients, mostly um, tourists, medical tourists, and they use that revenue to um, increase the funding of their public system, buy new technology, treat more patients. So we are, we have this... Cuba, Cuba does what we yeah, want. Well, actually, you know, um, I was a guest speaker at an international conference in Budapest a few years ago. They invited me because they didn't believe Canada would outlaw private health insurance. And, um, and I was the opening speaker. And, um, you know, uh, delegates from all over the world were there. Afterwards, the delegation from China came up to me and said, you know, um, you remember Tiananmen Square? And I was shocked they would bring up Tiananmen Square. And I said, yes. He said, well, there were 100,000 protesters. I said, yes. He said, if the Chinese government tried to outlaw private health care, there would be 100 million protesters because in China, we don't believe the government owns your body. And that is, the, that is pretty well the stance taken by Canadian governments. More than half of all the hospitals in communist China are private. This is, this, so, so there, isn't, there isn't one private hospital in Canada. It's a, and you know, one thing we might ask Jagmeet Singh is, because um, I use education as an analogy, there's no one out there suggesting that we outlaw private education and private schools and independent religious schools and one should maybe ask Jagmeet Singh how he justifies having gone to the most expensive one of the most expensive private schools in North America. One thing that you mentioned a couple minutes ago was the safety record of the hospitals and it was gobsmacked or, or of the clinics like yours like Canby uh, Surgical Center. Um, you say that the BC College of Physicians and Surgeons tracks the safety record and it's better than the public hospitals when ford was announcing that his changes which include allowing a limited number of hip and knee operations to be performed in these clinics the head of the college of physicians and surgeons of ontario was calling around to other people in the health profession saying we've got to stop this it's not safe to do hips and knees in clinics She's not an orthopedic surgeon, by the way, but she, she was saying that this is unsafe. 
you are an orthopedic surgeon. What do you think? Well, she's wrong. And I mean, the data shows she's wrong. And by the way, the data on hospitals is government data. The college doesn't collect the data on hospitals. So the college collects the data on the private clinics. The government collects it on, on the hospitals. So it's government data that show the incidence of infections and complications. Now, um, you have to remember the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario uh, is one of 13 such colleges in Canada. So we have, they're part of the massive health bureaucracy that defines Canada's health system. There is a reason why Canada is ranked 10th out of 10, according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information Commonwealth Fund data, 10th out of 10 in amongst the uh, universal top, uh, you know, developed countries with universal health care. Um, we're ranked 10th out of 10 in quality in overall quality and access, we're ranked um, first in cost, highest in cost. And one of the reasons is this massive health bureaucracy that we have. We have, we have, as I say, 13 jurisdictions who act as a college to, to qualify and accredit doctors. Um, other countries have one. Equally and in parallel, we have 14 ministers of health and 14 health ministries. Uh, so the, this is why the data shows that um, for every health bureaucrat, public health bureaucrat that Germany has, and in Germany there are no wait lists, for every public health bureaucrat that Germany has, we have 11. They are consuming this massive budget that Canada um, uses at the taxpayers' expense. And um, we should just have one Canadian health system, one, one ministry of health. We should have one college that accredits um, doctors. So the last thing uh, the College of Ontario wants is for to be open to the possibility that uh, ending the monopoly will mean the end of the, this bureaucracy. I mean, I I think if we had one college of physicians for the whole country, which is what other countries have, um, the other 13 colleges and the, you know, a lot of their staff are doctors, could go back into looking after patients instead of being bureaucrats in a college. It would add to the workforce. So, um, so I'm all for eliminating 12 of the 13 colleges. We need to take a break, uh, quick break, uh, but we'll be back with Dr. Brian Day in just a moment. And, and when we come back, doctor, I do want to ask you about your, your push for private insurance and what that means for people who say, but no, I can't afford private insurance. I, I, I need the public system to stick around. So we'll get to that when we come back. Uh, so Dr. Day, in, in addition to looking at different ways of delivering, and you've given us a mountain of stats and probably sending an awful lot of listeners to Google to say, wait a minute, is that actually true? 11 health bureaucrats for every one that Germany has. Uh, you've been involved in a court case that's been going on for a long time to allow Canadians to buy private insurance or is it to pay for services? I mean, to me, it sounds an awful lot like the 2005 Shalui Supreme Court decision, which only applies to Quebec, are you essentially trying to bring that to the rest of Canada or to British Columbia? 
exactly. What we're what we're going and we we hopefully will get lead to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. We lost at the lower court levels in British Columbia. We weren't surprised because Chaoli in two thousand and five lo- um, two thousand four five lost at the lower courts in Quebec, but eventually uh, went to the Supreme Court of Canada. We're essentially asking the Supreme Court of Canada to make a decision as to whether um, patients outside of Quebec should have the same uh, rights under the Charter that they granted to residents of Quebec. And, um, and we will hopefully hear about leave to appeal in, in March of this year. But yes, we are asking for the right for Canadians to obtain private health insurance. So what we have in Canada right now or to pay, um, but preferably, well, we, our prime thing is private insurance. What we have in Canada right now is a situation where governments across the country have developed benchmarks on the maximum safe time you can wait before you undergo a procedure or have a procedure once you're referred by the doctor. And, um, and in ten, many thousands of cases, we know we, we've got millions of Canadians waiting and the majority now are waiting beyond the safe time. So we're saying to, to the court, should, should a government be able to promise health care, which it does under the Canada Health Act, in a, in a timely manner, and then not deliver that care in a safe time, and then, at the same time, outlaw a citizen's right to take measures into their own hand and, and look after their own health um, with private insurance. So we are, I'll reiterate this, the only country on the planet where it's unlawful to obtain private health insurance for medically, ne- for medically necessary services. Along that line, we outlaw, we arbitrarily designate essential services such as ambulances and um, prescription drugs, uh, dentistry, physiotherapy, um, artificial limbs for patients who've lost a leg. We arbitrarily designate those as not necessary and make people pay or buy insurance for those. So um, yes, um, we're, we're fighting for the same rights that the citizens of every other country on the planet have and the citizens of Quebec have. And um, and that case, we hope, will be heard at the Supreme Court of Canada uh, later this year. It's, it's been 18 years since the Shillowy decision. I, I don't think you can argue that Quebec's public health care system has fallen apart. It's no worse than the rest of the country. I think it's middle of the pack when mm-hmm. I look at different barometers most times. Um, but it's, um, you know, there is a thriving um, private market in Quebec that the rest of us just are not legally allowed to have. Right. If you cross, you know, the other paradox <laughs> is all you have to do. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Ottawa when I was president of the Canadian Medical Association. A lot of Ontario um, patients travel across to Quebec. You know, you just go across the bridge from Ottawa and you can get private MRIs and private health care. And once you go across a provincial border in Canada, you're in a different system and you're 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 allowed to access um, access private care if you wish, um, but 
what we're arguing for is private insurance because most people, I mean, about 70% of Canadians have extended health insurance that covers prescription drugs and and, and, and and ambulances and dentistry and so on. And by the way, those services are included in most countries' universal systems. Unlike Canada's, our system isn't comprehensive. We, we don't ensure, we don't cover many necessary services. To me, it's ludicrous that the tr- diagnosis of an infection is covered, but the treatment is not covered. I mean, that, that to me... It makes no sense. and It's a very strange system, and, yes. And the argument about, oh, will the rich be the beneficiaries is also ludicrous. Right now, um, every injured worker in the country has private health insurance if they're injured on the job or, or, or have a, an illness caused by the job. That's called workers' compensation. They are exempt. And as I said earlier, federal employees are exempt. So let me ask you about that. You treat, I just want to jump in on that point. Your Canby Center treats federal workers. Do you do knee replacements on federal workers in your private clinic or or procedures, surgical? We do surgical procedures um, on on federal employees. I mean, I've personally operated on prisoners and judges who are federal employees, so to speak, as well as uh, federal police officers, RCMP, and um, Canadian Armed Forces, but also MPs um, are exempt. I mean, to me, this is the hypocrisy. Uh, If you're a federally employed person, you are exempt from the restrictions. So basically what we're saying we want the same rights for ordinary Canadians that federal employees have, that injured workers have, that um, prisoners have, that judges have. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I do want to address this, is it private insurance for the rich question, because it's something that's raised often. Um, let's start with this. The wealthy, there is no country on the planet in which the wealthy suffer because they get on a plane and go somewhere else. So it's not about wealthy. Wealthy Canadians go down to the United States. Politicians go down to the United States if they can't get access here. We know that there are many of them have done so. It's on the public record that uh, Jean Chrétien has used the Canadian Armed Forces, when he was Prime Minister, went in a Canadian Armed Forces jet to to Minneapolis for private health care. And all of the major politicians that you could name, um, I mean, fill a page of individuals who've used the US. But what we're talking about is adding the legality of private insurance for medically necessary services. So the same insurance companies that offer ambulances and prescription drugs and so on, dentistry, will be allowed to add on and cover that. And in most cases, these premiums are supported or funded by by employers in Canada. Um, so the the you know the, this is um, actually something that the wealthy already are taken care of. So let's not call, talk talk about this as a wealthy versus poor thing. And finally, and I think this is very important in in countries where. So I, I lived and worked in Switzerland for six months. Low-income 
individuals in Switzerland have their premiums paid by the, by the government, private premiums, because Switzerland mostly has private hospitals and private insurance. In Australia, you know, which is a country very comparable to Canada in terms of population and population density, and millions of, of Australians in the lower economic groups have their premiums for private healthcare funded, either fully paid or, supple, or, or partially funded by the government. So if, if, if the fear, this question about the fear of introducing private insurance benefiting those with more money is, is a red herring because the government has two ways to handle that. Number one, they can make the public system good enough that it's irrelevant because there's no queue to jump, eliminate the queue, make the system work. Number two, they can, um, if, the, if the private system is performing better, pay the premiums for lower socioeconomic groups. One of the stats, Stats Canada right now um, has data showing that in Canada, the worst health access and the worst health outcomes are in lower socioeconomic groups. So our system is not doing what it promised to do. Let me ask you this then to close. Um, what would you say to those who uh, believe that you just want to get rid of the public system? Because it doesn't sound to me like you do. You, you want two systems that will work hand in hand rather than one above the other. Would that be accurate? Or what, what would you say to those people who say, you're an attack, you're a danger? To the public system. Well, as I said earlier, um, you know, I say private. I, I, I would support private non-profit to show this is not about private companies making a profit. Private non-profit would be wonderful. It would be competition for the public system. And we, we do not, we have a monopoly. We have a government that promises healthcare, fails to deliver it in a safe timeline, and at the same time makes it illegal. For you to access that healthcare independently, um, this makes no sense. So, so what I am arguing for is is a little bit of competition will improve any monopoly, but no monopoly serves the user of the services well. I don't, and and if anyone can name one, I've never heard anyone. No one's ever been able to name a monopoly that is better for the consumer, and so. Yes, we, we, um, you know, we are attacked for this profit motive. Well, as I said earlier, if it if these clinics make a profit, more than half of it goes back to the government anyway. And secondly, I have no problem with private non-profit, as long as it's not government a government-run, bureaucratically overrun system. Fine, but we need competition for the state-run monopoly that defines Canada's health system. Dr. Brian Day, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm guest host Brian Lilly. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer of Full Comment. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, anywhere you get your podcast. Just hit the subscribe button. Listen on Alexa-enabled devices, let the whole family hear it, and you can help us out by giving us a rating or leaving a review. And, of course, telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Till next time, I'm Brian Lilly.